Good morning, church. It's morning, Pete. I love it. He always says my name when I say that. So, My name is Ted Sally. For those of you who haven't met us yet, uh, I'm an elder candidate here at Grace Covenant Church. And I have the honor of bringing a message from God's Word to you this morning. My wife and I have been here for a little over a couple of years now, and we've really enjoyed getting to know most of you. Not that we don't enjoy meeting all of you, but it's just we haven't met all of you yet. Um, we really appreciate how this church has taken us in and made us feel welcome. We truly love this church, both for the fellowship but also because this church focuses on giving glory to God through the exposition of his word. And I hope to continue that this morning. We're going to be talking about sola fide today. As I was preparing this message all throughout the week, and I got to the end of the week and the end of my preparation, I noticed that I had 15 pages of notes. And I thought to myself, that's a lot of notes. And so I said, how can I reduce the pages of all these notes? And it was simple. I just lowered the font size and <laughs> got down to 11 pages. So this ought to go pretty quick. <laughs> Over the last few weeks, we've been discussing the five solas. We've covered Scripture alone and Christ alone. And today we'll be dis discussing faith alone, sola fide. As I listen to Dennis preach on Scripture alone and then Edgar preach on Christ alone, I begin to realize how closely these five solas are linked together. And not one of them can stand alone apart from the others. Let me see if I can give you an example, just briefly. Scripture alone, as Dennis told us, there are two types of revelation. There's general revelation, which Paul says in Romans chapter 1, that God has revealed himself in creation so much so that there is not one man who is without excuse because we have chosen to suppress the truth. So that is general revelation, where God reveals himself in his creation. The second type of revelation would be special Revelation. This is God's Word. Special revelation reveals to us one thing. As Edgar reminded us last week, from Genesis to Revelation, it's all about one thing, and that one thing is, of course, Christ alone. So Scripture alone reveals Christ alone. And in Christ alone, Edgar told us last week also that Christ is the fulfillment of the law which satisfies the righteous requirements of a holy God. His life and his sacrifice were sufficient to redeem us back to the Father. Nothing else can be added to the completed work of Christ. And that leads us to faith alone. Faith is what we'll be discussing today. And I can sit up here and define faith to you. As a matter of fact, the easiest thing for me to do is get up here and preach out of Hebrews chapter 11. But somebody's already done that recently. And so I was like, well, I could preach about 
how we're not saved by works, but, by, but through faith. But Edgar preached that last week. It's a lot, Edgar. Um, but if we define faith, it would be found in Hebrews chapter 11, which says, verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things. And so I could build my sermon around this, but I decided instead, I believe the Lord was leading me to take this in a different direction. And so, briefly, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 15, but it's just going to take a little while to get there, so y'all just be patient with me. But last week, Dennis brought up the Magnificent. And this is a song of praise from Mary after she had been told that she would have a son and that he would be called Holy and the Son of God. This is found in Luke chapter 1. And in the last part of the Magnificent, the the song of praise in verses 54 through 55, she says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So what Mary is doing here is she is looking back to the promise that God made. The moment of that promise was actually taking place at this very moment in her life and that she had been chosen to be the vessel that God would use in order to carry it out. Can you imagine what she may be thinking at this time and why she would sing a song of praise? So what we're going to do today is we're going to look back at the faith of Abraham. And we know that the New Testament mentions the faith of Abraham on several occasions. In Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, Paul says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. We also find it in Hebrews 11, of course, chapter 8 through, uh, excuse me, Hebrews 11, verse 8 through 12, where it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, He went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So we know that the New Testament also has several other occasions where it mentions the faith of Abraham. And so today I want to go back and look at where this all began. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 15, but first what we need to do is take a look at the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. 
So in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Now, of course, this is his name before God changes his name later on. Go from your country and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So you think about what Abram is hearing and what kind of faith does it take for Abram to believe God at this point in his life. What's interesting here is that when God comes to Abram, he is living in a pagan land and he himself is a pagan. And we see that in Joshua 24 verse 2. It says, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah and the Pham and Nahor, and they served other gods. So we know that Abraham was a pagan living in a pagan land. And God goes to him and he tells him to go. And what does Abraham do? He leaves. He obeys God. How does one who is a pagan just immediately obey God and leave everything, not even knowing where he's going? Does the natural man have the capability of this kind of faith? Well, according to Romans chapter 3, it says that there is no one who is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. That would mean that Abram wouldn't have the ability to obey God on his own. I've heard people describe faith by using many different illustrations. And one of the illustrations was, of course, a chair. And I have to admit, I've used this illustration myself. But imagine you have a chair sitting here, and I say to you, how do you know that I have faith that this chair will hold me up? I sit down, right? So by my act, you know that I have faith that this chair is going to hold me up. Now, I have to admit to you that this is basically a pathetic attempt to describe true saving faith because even a pagan can say he has faith in a chair that he'll sit down in it. That's not the kind of faith we're talking about here. We're talking about a supernatural faith. So how do we receive this kind of faith? How did Abram receive this kind of faith. In Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us clearly, for by grace, this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. Notice that it doesn't say here that we are saved by faith through grace. Why is that? It's because grace must come first. Grace must come first. Why? Because without grace, we would have no faith. Faith is the gift that has been given to us by God's grace. Let's read the verse again. By grace, you have been saved. We're saved by what? By grace. Through faith. And this is not of your own doing. In other words, you do not have the capability 
of this kind of faith. But it is a gift of God. What is the gift? It is by grace. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. So if we have faith, it's because it's been given to us by grace and it is a gift that God has given us. And apart from this grace of God, we are absolutely helpless. We have nothing to offer. We have nothing to bring to the table. Understanding that now, let's look at what Abram believed. Now, Joel, are you preaching on grace alone next week? Okay, I'm probably going to be preaching some of your sermon today, so I apologize ahead of time. Maybe we'll give you some more material. <laughs> okay, understanding this now, what we've been talking about, let's, let's look at what Abram believed, okay? God promised him here in chapter 12 that he would show him where he would be going. In other words, he would be his guide. He would make him into a great nation. He would bless him and make his name great. And that he would be a blessing. And that God would bless those who bless him. And him who dishonors him, he will curse. So the earth shall be blessed. So what is this promise that Abram is believing here? Was it just these things or was it something greater? I mean, did Abram believe that it's all just about land? Did Abram believe that it was all just about descendants and a large family? Did Abram believe that it was just about his name being great and living in the, a long history, that everybody would know the name of Abram was something greater than these things? I believe that God had given Abram the faith to see that these things were just shadows types of something much greater that would come later. We have evidence of this in the New Testament. Again, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16 says this. And again, this is referring, remember Hebrews is the hall of faith. That's what that chapter is all about. It's about all of these people that these, the, the writer of Hebrews is, is re referring to who lived by faith in the Old Testament. And so in verse 13 through 16, it says, These all, all of these people that he'd been talking about, died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he has prepared for them a city. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying here is that while these people had faith in the, in the promises of God, they never actually received the fulfillment of those promises but they saw them from afar. In other words, they knew there was something so much greater than just the immediate fulfillment of the promises that God was making. And they saw this from afar. They were seeking a different homeland, one that was built in heaven. So if we look in Genesis chapter 15, 
Actually, before we go there, Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 56, he said, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And he saw it and was glad. So what does that tell us? It tells us that God had given Abram the ability to be able to see the fulfillment making to him. Now we go into Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. This is where my sermon starts. <laughs> it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So here, when he says, fear not, this literally means to stop fearing. That's what it means. So Abram must have something going on that's making him afraid. It could be the things that have happened in the previous chapters. And what would those be? Well, the first thing is in chapter 12, we saw that there was, when God had led Abram to the land of Canaan, he was there, and then there was a famine that came upon the land. And so Abram took every, all of his people, and they went down to Egypt. And while they were in Egypt, he told his wife, he said, I want you to tell everybody that you are my sister and not my wife. So that, in other words, he's afraid that they're going to take her and kill him because of his wife was so beautiful. Now, Abram is likely at this point in his 80s. And Sarah is likely going to be up around in her 70s and 80s. And she must have been absolutely gorgeous at this point for him to be this scared that somebody's going to take her and kill him, right? I hope that I'm looking that good when I'm 80 years old. <laughs> but so he goes to, to Egypt and he tells everyone that this is his sister and not his wife. And it's, it's only really a half lie because she was his half sister, okay? But it's still, it was, it was deceptive. And so Pharaoh takes her into his harem. And all of a sudden, God starts throwing these um, plagues on Pharaoh and his household. And he calls Abram. He's like, what did I do to you? I mean, why would you tell me that your wife is your sister? And now God has heaped all of these plagues on me. And not only that, this is what's so interesting. While Abram and Sarah were here in this place, Pharaoh, whenever he took Sarah, he gave Abram all these wealth, his, you know, the riches that he had. He gave him all kinds of livestock and men and servants and all of this stuff. And then whenever uh, he finds out that she is his wife, he says, take all the stuff I gave you, take your wife and just go. And so here's what's interesting. Even in the midst of Abram's disobedience, Abram acting out of fear, going to Egypt, God still blessed him because he told him he would. Now that's important for us to remember as we continue studying along in this, that it is God's promise that stands. So they go back to Canaan. He and Lot... They're having some problems. They've got all these livestock. They got all these men. They got all this stuff because they were exceedingly wealthy now. And Abram says, look, Lot, uh, we got too much stuff. We got too much going on. We need, to, we need to split up. So he tells him, he says, if you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. Now, this is a bold statement of faith for Abram right here. 
I mean, first we see Abram acting in fear. And what's great about the Bible is this, is the Bible doesn't paint all of these people in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament as perfect, superhuman, holy people. It's real. It's honest. We see that Abram has faults. He, he feared and he ended up in Egypt as a result of his fear. But now he's making a bold statement of faith. He says, it doesn't matter where you go, Lot, because I know that God is going to fulfill the promise that he made to me. So it doesn't matter which side you choose. And so Abram looks across the land and he, he sees what is pleasing to his eye. And he sees this lush land that, that looks like it will fit him and his people and all of his livestock. And so he goes over there into the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then Abram goes to Canaan. Later on, Abram gets word that Lot has been taken captive because there were some kings that went to war against other kings over in this land that Lot was living in, and they had taken Lot and his family and everything as captives. And so he takes a little over 300 men, and he goes over there, and he whoops up on these kings, and he gets Lot and his family, and he brings them back. And this is when he encounters Melchizedek and the king of Sodom. And the king of Sodom comes up to him and he says, I want you to have the spoils of war. And Abram looked at him and he says, he makes another bold statement of faith. He says, I have lifted my hand to God that I would not take one thing from you, not one thing, because I don't want you to be able to say that you made me rich. And this is a bold statement from Abraham because he is denying the the free given wealth of a wicked king in order to follow the, the provision of God and God alone. So these are the things that have taken place whenever in verse 1 it says, after these things. And so when he says, fear not, what are the things that Abram may be fearing at this point? Well, it could be that these kings that he has defeated might not be too happy about it. They may decide to come back and retaliate against him. It could be that he's possibly around 85 years old, which it's likely that the 10 years had passed since Genesis chapter 12 when God made the promise to him. He's 85 years old and he still has no children. And he's thinking, I'm running out of time. And God promised me that I was going to have a son. Or it could be that he's just in the presence of God and we know that the presence of God, it invokes fear. We're not sure exactly what's going on in Abram's life at this point is the reason why he's, he's afraid. But the, the next part of the verse gives us a little bit of a hint. He says, I am your shield. I am your shield. What does this mean? It means that God is his protector, no matter what. God has chosen Abram for a reason. And there is nothing or no one that, that can do anything to Abram until God's purposes have been accomplished through him. We think about the power that he is describing here of the shield John Piper said this, from worms to the ground, excuse me, from worms in the ground 
to stars and the galaxies. God governs the natural world. In the book of Jonah, God commands a fish to swallow in chapter 1, verse 17. God commands a plant to grow in chapter 4, verse 6. And God commands a worm to kill it in chapter 4, verse 7. And far above the life of worms, the stars take their place and hold their place at God's command. Isaiah 40, 26 says, Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, and not one is missing. This is Abram's shield. This is our shield. Jesus said in John 10, 27 through 29, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one can snatch them out of my hands. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. This is our shield. This is Abram's shield. How secure should we feel knowing that God is our shield that if God has called us to a certain life, a certain purpose on this earth, that there is nothing or no one, no power on earth or in heaven that can stop his purposes. He is our shield. But he also says your reward shall be very great. Now you remember Abram had just turned down a great reward from the king of Sodom. And we also know that Abram was already exceedingly wealthy. So what could God give him? Now, one version of the, of the Bible, you may have this version, it, it doesn't say your reward shall be very great. It says that I am your reward, your great reward. So basically, God is saying this, that this reward that he is giving him is so much greater than land or descendants, but it was God himself. Sometimes we're so interested in what God can do for us rather than resting in the great reward of Christ alone. But we notice that in the next few verses that Abram is more concerned about this promised child than he is about more possessions anyway. So in verse 2 through 6, it says, But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven, and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So, again, we see Abram may be questioning God a little bit on, okay, you told me that you were going to give me a son, I was going to have this great nation, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm 85 years old and I still don't have a son. 
you know, what can you give me? Basically, what can you give me that I cannot pass down to my own son? Someone in my household, a servant, is going to be my heir. So we see him question it. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that Abram is doubting the word of God. I think it's more of a concern that he may be running out of time. But God reassures him that a son would come from his own body. It says that he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And this is what we mentioned previously as saving faith. But like us, Abram was not saved by his own faith. It was by grace that God gave him the faith that he needed to believe. Notice it didn't say that Abram believed in God. It says he believed God. Anybody can believe in God, right? Even the demons believe and they shudder, according to the book of James. But it says that Abram believed God. This means that Abram put his faith in the promise that God had given him. You see, this is the key. Abram believed the promise that was to be fulfilled. And we believe that the promise has been fulfilled in Christ. And it is only by grace that we have the ability to believe this, to have this kind of faith. But Abram was saved the same way that we are. He was saved by grace through faith. But he believed in the promise to come, and we believe in the promise fulfilled. Let's look in verse 7 through 11. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, from Ur of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these, cut them in half, and laid each half against the other. But he, did, but he did not cut the birds in half, and when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So again, what we see here is Abram is questioning God about the promise. He don't, again, like I say, I don't believe that Abram is questioning whether or not God will fulfill the promise. I think it's more about Okay, when is this going to take place and how can I have confirmation? And so God tells him to bring a heifer, a female goat, and a ram that are all three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And Abram takes them and cuts them in half and lays the pieces out opposite of each other, making a pathway between the pieces. Notice that God doesn't tell Abram to do this. He doesn't say, go get these animals and then cut them in half, and then I'll tell you what to do. This was something that was very common during this time. This was a practice from, if you had two parties that were going to enter into a covenant with one another, they would kill these animals, they would split them apart, and they would put them you know, opposite of each other so that they had a path going between them. And each of the two parties would pass through together declaring the terms of the covenant. 
And that's how this took place. So when God told him what to get, he knew right off the bat what God was going to do. He knew what was coming. And basically, by passing through the broken pieces of the animals, this was to say that if either of the parties were to break the terms of the covenant, then what happened to these animals would happen to them. They would be cursed. And this is literally called cutting a covenant. And this is something that Abram was familiar with. We actually see this referred to again in Jeremiah chapter 34, verse 18. It says, And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and pass between its parts. So this is a blood covenant. We know that it's serious business. But also notice that it said that he had to drive away the birds of prey. Now I've heard all kinds of explanations of what this may be, what, what these symbolize, but what I think happened here is that there is quite a bit of time that has passed and these birds are starting to come down and Abram's having to drive all these birds away. The question is, how often do we wish that God's timing was on our own timing? <laughs> I know I do. I mean, Abram has been waiting for 10 years for God to fulfill the promise that he gave him in Genesis chapter 12. And now he's waiting on him again to come by and ratify this covenant. I've cut these animals in half, just waiting on God. Well, in verses 12 through 16... It says, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. I will bring judgment on the nations that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go down to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here for the fourth generations, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So Abram waits till sundown. God causes a deep sleep to come over him. This is the same sleep, same deep sleep that is referred to in Genesis chapter 2. When God caused Abram to go to sleep and he took the rib out of his side in order to create Eve. And God begins to reveal to Abram what is going to take place with his descendants. They would be enslaved and afflicted for 400 years. And that God would bring judgment on the nation. That they, and they would come out with great possessions. And this reveals to us what some of this covenant is really about. This is a covenant of deliverance and redemption. God promises that although that they will be enslaved and in bondage, that He would be their deliverer. This is a promise that we look to as well, that we were in bondage to sin, and God gave His Son in order to deliver us and to redeem us. And in verses 17 through 21, He says, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Rephaim. 
the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. I had to practice all those names before I came up here. Here we see something interesting. First we see the smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. This will signify, of course, the presence of God. We also see later in Exodus that God led the Israelites with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He also appeared to Moses as fire in a bush and revealed himself in this way, as well as smoke on top of Mount Sinai. And so we see that this is actually the representative of the presence of God. But secondly, we notice that God doesn't ask Abram to go between the pieces with him. Why would God not allow Abram to pass between the pieces? It's because God knew that Abram nor his descendants would be able to keep the terms of the covenant. And so God passed through the pieces on Adam's behalf. I hope you all realize what a beautiful picture this is right here. This is God saying that even if you break the terms of the covenant, I will take the curse upon myself. And this is what took place in the fulfillment of it with Christ. Galatians chapter 3 verses 10 through 14. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all these things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for righteous, by righteous, the, righteousness, the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So we see that God passing through these pieces on behalf of his elect, those he has chosen, and that he would take on the curse of the covenant. This would ultimately take place when Christ was crucified and hung on a tree. The fulfillment of this covenant... What was it that Abraham saw that God had given him the faith to see? We see as described in Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. First of all, God promised him, he said, I will make you into a great nation. Galatians 3, 7. Know then that it was those of faith who were the sons of Abraham. Galatians 3, 28 through 29. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So the true fulfillment of this would be that this nation that God has promised Abraham would ultimately be the kingdom of God. He also says, I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing. The name Abram means exalted father. God would later change his name to Abraham, which means father of multitudes. And so God would ultimately raise his name and make it great, saying that this is the father of the nation that I have chosen. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
Again, Galatians chapter 3, verses 8 through 9 says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Notice that he refers to us as those who are of faith, meaning that we possess the faith that God and God alone could give us as a gift. We also see in Genesis chapter 12 who this covenant was made to. Genesis 12, 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. In Galatians 3, 16, it says, Now the promises were made to Abram and to his offspring. It does not say, And to his offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. Even the land that was promised to Abram was referred to as God's rest. Once the Israelites would wander in the wilderness for 40 years, God will allow them, those who acted in faith, to enter into His rest. And when we are in Christ, we have received the promise of God's rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Come to me, all who you labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And Hebrews 4, 9 through 10 says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever enters God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. This is the promise that Abram believed. So what are we to take away from this? When we talk about sola fide or faith alone, are we talking about our own faith? That if we only had enough faith that we could be saved. No, this faith can only be provided by God and by His grace alone. Of course, which we'll discuss next week. So as we began this study by looking at Mary's song of praise where she said, He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of this mercy. He has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His offspring forever. As she remembers the promises made to Abraham that this is about to be revealed right before her eyes. And we look at the faith of Abraham that had been given to him by God and God alone, that we see that all of this is about God. It's all about God. Think about the wonderful gifts of God. We can literally say God alone and be done with it. Because it is God who has given us the gift of Scripture alone. In Scripture alone, God has revealed to us His precious gift of Christ alone. And through His grace alone, He has given us the wonderful gift of faith alone. And because all of this is through God alone, it is Him and Him alone that receives glory. Let's pray. Father, for your grace, we are ever thankful that by grace you have given us the faith that we need to even believe, believe your word, to have assurance that your word is true. Father, as we look back on the faith of Abraham, and even though he had flaws, we know that he made some mistakes, Lord, we know that the faith that he had in you was given to you by him as a gift. And I pray that we'll recognize that 
we have nothing to offer you. And it's by your grace alone that we are even here today. And let us praise you for that, Father. Because this is all about you. It has nothing to do with us. We have nothing to offer. And so let us praise you for that forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.